May our ears here and our hearts and minds be open to respond as we hear the word of God as recorded in the fourth, fourth chapter of John, verses 13 and 14. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst, not ever. The water I give will be an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. These are the words of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. So I have a question for you. Why did you come to church this morning? The simplest answer is, well, I got my clock reset on time. Well done. But why are you here, really? In person, online, Sunday after Sunday, spring break aside. What is it that you seek? Perhaps you might answer with these words. I seek to grow in my faith. Amen? Amen. To grow in my faith. But the thing is, we learn from Jesus that the key to growing faith, to grow in faith, is not to sit in a room and sing some songs and listen to somebody preach a sermon, is it? To grow in faith is to connect with other people. To grow in faith is to connect with other people. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus is not sitting still. He's moving, constantly on the move, making contact with people whose lives are very diverse, whose struggles are varied, but whose pain, whose loneliness, whose brokenness and anxiety are at the core the same. Because that's the human condition, right? That's the human condition. We're all more than a little bit broken. And Jesus encounters these people and offers them something new. And that's what we are called to be about, the six days and 23 hours that we are not here each week in this place. Bearing something new for the people in our lives, those close to us, those far from us, our children, our co-workers, a stranger on the street, And that's where we meet Jesus this morning in the scripture you just heard. He's on the move. He's on his way home. He's traveling from Judea, where the city of Jerusalem is located, back to the Galilee, the place where he began his ministry, called his first disciples, and where he was born and raised. He's coming from the Passover feast. John's Gospel says, that celebration where every Jew who is able makes the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the temple courts, to the very throne of God, as they understood it, in order to be a part of the celebration that is held once every year. And you've heard this mentioned before, the Passover feast. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke, Jesus comes to Jerusalem for Passover just once. Just once. When he is crucified and resurrected. 
at Easter. But in John's gospel, Jesus attends the Passover feast in Jerusalem three times, which is the source from which we draw that Jesus' earthly ministry lasted three years. Now, he's back on his way to the Galilee. And to get there, he passes through Samaria. Now, some things you need to know. Samaria is the land of the other. In Jesus' day, Jews and Samaritans, while descended both from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Old Testament fathers of the Jewish faith, they come apart at some point in their early history. The Jews worship God in Jerusalem, the city of David, the greatest of the kings, built to honor God and centralize the Jewish faith. But the Samaritans, they worship God at Mount Gerizim, the mountain where Moses stood before the Israelites as they were coming to the promised land after exile in Egypt. And after 40 years as their leader, this is the place where Moses gives them their final instructions before his death, and they enter into new life as a free people. And this happened because this place, Mount Gerizim and Samaria, had been land purchased by Jacob for his son Joseph, who is buried there at the end of the book of Genesis. This land was part of their story, part of their history, their inheritance. But for the Samaritans, it was the center of God's power and movement in the world. It was the place where their freedom began. For the Jews, it was simply a step on their journey. I want you to understand that bit of history because it matters to this moment where we find ourselves in the story today. This moment Jesus finds himself in, in John's gospel. He has stopped at this place to get a drink of water. He's exhausted after his walk back from Jerusalem. And this is a logical place to take a break because it's a place where water can be drawn. And his disciples, earlier in the story, we learn, the text informs us, they have left him here at this well to rest while they have gone to purchase food for all who are traveling with him to eat along the journey that isn't over yet. Another interesting note, the text says that they didn't have any food with them. They had no food with them for this journey. Now bear in mind something, the Jews and the Samaritans don't get along. Jewish custom in Jesus' day held that the Samaritans were unclean. To come into contact with them, to eat their food, was to make yourself voluntarily unclean. Yet, Jesus and the disciples carried no food with them on their journey through Samaritan land, a journey that lasts all the way from Jerusalem until they get back to the Galilee. So the disciples have gone into the nearest town, a town called Sychar, to purchase food. And here's something unique, something a good Jewish rabbi would never do. Yet Jesus dispatches them to purchase unclean food so they can get their stomachs filled in the moment. 
He sends them to do business with people considered to be their enemies, the enemies of their faith tradition, the proverbial red-headed stepchild of the Jewish faith, the Samaritans. And while they are there doing business with these unclean people, the Samaritans, Jesus himself at the well does the same because this woman shows up. It's in the middle of the day, and she comes there to collect water. Now, typically, in this day and time, you would not get the water that you needed for the day in the middle of the day. Why? Because it's hot, right? Because it's hot. You wouldn't go in the middle of the day. You'd go early in the day. And, typically, women never traveled alone at this point in history. They would move together in groups like teenagers going to the bathroom. <laughs> and they'd go out early in the day or at night to gather the water they needed for their homes. But this woman is alone in the middle of the day. And she is an outcast among her own people. A woman. A Samaritan woman and a woman that other people in her own community will not associate with when they gather their daily supplies. She is in that society the lowest of the low. And Jesus, sitting there alone by this well, does what no decent rabbi would ever, ever do. He asks this woman, for a drink of water from the well. It's a simple request, really. See, in those days, when you traveled, you would carry with you a little leather water pouch with you in order to draw water as you found it along the route of your journey. But Jesus' pouch was not there. It was probably with his disciples in Sychar. And he's sitting there thirsty, with no ability to get a drink from the well on his own. Something else you need to know. These wells, like the one where Jesus finds himself, are often located out in the middle of an open field. So picture that, a well in the middle of an open field. So they have a little ledge all around them, a little ledge of probably rock, that's built in so that uh, you don't fall down into one in the middle of the night, right? When it's dark and there are no lamps. Because these wells, they are pretty deep. This one, in all likelihood, at least 100 feet in, or more uh, into the ground. And if you fell into that well in the middle of the night, there is no coming back from that, right? So Jesus is sitting there on this ledge when the woman comes and he asks her for a drink of water from the well. And she's thrown by this request. She is thrown off by this request because she reminds Jesus of their different stations in life. And Jesus then responds to her saying something really strange. In verse 10, before what you heard this morning, it says this, Jesus answered, if you knew, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh, living water. 
Jesus and the Samaritan woman are gathered together at a well. A well dug deep into the ground from which they draw water. Here's the thing. Wells run dry. Wells run dry. And while the well itself is never mentioned specifically in the Old Testament, the Samaritan woman recites a legend among her people that when Jacob dug this particular well in the ground, it sprang forth with water, sprang forth with water that overflowed the cistern and kept gushing from the earth for many, many years. The water once sprang from the well and overflowed onto the ground, but now it sat at the bottom, needing to be drawn out with a little leather pouch. It was stagnant water. It didn't change. But once upon a time, it had. So Jesus' reference to living water would have resonated with this woman. This was a story she knows well. It was part of her faith tradition and understanding of history and how the world worked. But now the water sits at the bottom unmoving. Living water is mentioned throughout the scriptures as a reference to God. Living water references God. The energy, the life that is drawn from God is a spring of living water, always fresh and refreshing. It never dissipates, never runs dry, and never goes stale. But this well is stagnant. For this woman, whose tradition understood that living water was a possible, desirable thing, she only knew that the water sat and you drew it out yourself. You have to work for getting the water. You have to work to get the water. And it was never fresh, never truly satisfying. It just helped you out for a little bit of time. I think for so many of us, we need a drink. And we seek it out from the wells of life as we journey along. In our spending habits, in our jobs, in our possessions, in short-lived, shallow relationship. But at some point, it starts to taste stale. We're no longer satisfied. And so we thirst again, seeking to stop off at the next well we find along our route. We try new diets. We buy another car. We try different churches, or we find other ways to spend our much-needed time of Sabbath and rest with our families. And still, we thirst. We keep trying to quench that thirst, so we try and we buy new things. We seek distractions and activities. We take up hobbies, and still we're thirsty. So we get cynical, and we get frustrated. And we begin to doubt that the next new thing will ever, ever get it done. And then we stop trusting people. We stop listening. We seek something that will really refresh our lives and we struggle along alone in the heat of the day because we can no longer connect with the depth of relationship that we ourselves need to be satisfied. 
And maybe we miss then the grace of what has been right there, ours for the taking the whole entire time. Because when it's offered, we're skeptical, right? We're not sure it's going to work. Not sure it's going to satisfy. We struggle with this in one way. When we think about inviting others into our lives, into our life as church, much like we struggle with it when we ourselves decided to walk through the door for the very first time and give something new another try. Skeptical, cynical, frustrated, thirsty, but hoping, still hoping, somewhere way down deep that we might finally be refreshed again. But at some point, each of us gathered here. We made the choice to taste and see for ourselves, didn't we? We risked a conversation. We encountered somebody new and unexpected. So I want you to sit here this morning at the well with Jesus and this woman and ask yourself something today. Are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to put yourself out there to issue an invitation to someone, to offer yourself in relationship so that they might find their own thirst quenched by becoming part of what God is doing here in this place every Sunday morning? The people that you see every day, the person that you invite, will have a choice to make. Like the woman at the well, will they trust you enough to come and taste and see for themselves? But you have a choice to make too. Do you trust God enough to make the ask in the first place, to start the conversation? See, it's when we decide that we can't do it alone anymore, when we determine that we are so frustrated and thirsty and tired that we take a risk, that we find ourselves washed once more with the grace of God. It's in people called the church, in relationships where we trust one another, that we find our lives transformed and our spirits renewed. That's what we're here to do. But still, it's a hard thing, isn't it? Lots of people that you make that invitation to, uh, well, they're not going to take you up on it. Some of them are going to think that you're weird for even asking. And you're going to get frustrated when that happens. Believe me. Somebody said to me recently in conversation that they didn't actually know anyone in their life who didn't already go to church not a person in their life that doesn't go to church right now. And uh, great, right? But isn't that kind of frustrating? As a pastor, I get frustrated too by the work that is required to make this thing called church, this thing that we are trying to do together happen. See, God's in the mix, and I am certain cheering us along this journey but much is asked of every single one of us along the way. It doesn't just miraculously happen, this thing called church. 
Recently, I was driving to the dentist's office. And I have a love-hate relationship with my dentist's office. How about you? So I'm driving to the dentist's office, and here's what I love about going to the dentist's office. I find that time peaceful. In the car, I'm by myself. It's quiet. And as the father of four, it's rarely quiet in my life. And so I'm driving along, and as I'm driving along in this particular day, I find myself just talking out loud to God as I drive along. Anybody do that? Anybody pray out loud with your eyes open driving your car, or is it just me? It's just me. Oh, somebody, thank you. Okay, good. It's not just me. I'm not totally weird. But I do that. I talk out loud to God while I'm driving in the car. And I'm talking out loud to God because I have some things on my mind, and these are the words that I said. Jesus, if you're really here, if you're really here with me, if you are really in this thing that you are calling me to do, I need you today to show me what it is that I'm doing. Because I don't know right now what it is that is supposed to happen. Am I really supposed to do this thing? You ever ask that question of God? So I'm driving in the car and I'm asking this question of God because if I'm honest, uh, friends, uh, as a pastor, I fail a lot. As a parent, I fail a lot. I do. I can count every single day all the things that I didn't get done. And that list is generally longer than the things I actually did, right? And after a while, that does wear you down, doesn't it? So I'm saying this to God, and then I go into the dentist's office, and I sit in the chair at the appointed time, and the hygienist comes in, and she does the things that they do to clean your teeth, the flossing and the little brushes and the air and the fluoride and all that stuff. And all the while, she's talking nonstop, okay? She is engaging me in conversation. Does your dentist's office do that to you? Right? You're in the chair, you got the bib, and they're, and everything's happening, and they're just chat, 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 chat. And of course, I'm drooling like a maniac and just trying not to gag as I gurgle appropriate responses, right? I don't think I ever feel more vulnerable in my life than when I am sitting in the dentist's office because they try to have this conversation with me, and all I can do is and try not to choke, right? But she's talking away. And she knows uh, me, and she knows what I do for a living, and that's always dangerous. And she starts talking about running in marathons, okay? She starts talking to me about, me about running in marathons and because she started running in marathons last year because her husband died two years ago this month, suddenly, unexpectedly. And she's raising a teenage daughter by herself. And she's not sure what she's doing. And she's lonely. But she knows that in running, she feels close to her husband. She remembers him clearly with great joy. And in running, she draws strength. And then she left. And the dentist came in and did his thing. But then she came back. Then she came back and she gave me the goodie bag like they do, right? And by this time, I can talk, right? 
So I ask her if she's part of a church or if she has somebody she can talk to. And she said, no, no. She said that I was the first person she's talked to about how she is feeling or what's happening in her life in any detail in two years since her husband passed away. And so I asked her if we could pray together. She said yes, and we did. And I encouraged her to keep running, but also to plug in along her journey with a church, with a support group, with a therapist. And then I left. I have no idea what she chose to do after that conversation. But I know why I'm here. And I know why this matters. Why it matters that we are here. We are here to bind up the broken by offering hope and healing to others, by offering them a drink of living water. And when we do that, we find ourselves refreshed and we discover healing too. As you continue on your Lenten journey, I hope that you will take the time this week to open up the Gospel of John and turn to chapter 4 and read the whole story of the woman at the well. I want you to think about the choices that Jesus and the Samaritan woman made and about the choices you make and the chance that you have as you leave this place in a little bit and go back out into everyday life to offer a drink of living water, to offer Jesus to someone who needs to meet him. Get them a drink, won't you? Amen and amen.